Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Friday, October 20th. Today, it's time to talk about music again with Sun writer Kevin Simpson and G. Brown, director of the Colorado Music Experience. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric. A lot has changed in the last 50 years, and Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric has changed a lot, too. Founded in 1973, they've grown from their humble beginnings to become one of the most trusted residential plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical providers in the Denver, Boulder, and Longmont metro areas. Applewood's story is centered on family, on outstanding customer service, and on community. From the entire Applewood Plumbing, Heating, and Electric team, they thank you for the opportunity to provide 50 years of incredible service. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1787, Spanish Governor Juan Bautista de Anza reported on a community, San Carlos de los Jupes, established in present-day Colorado at the junction of Arkansas-St. Charles Rivers. This town aimed to unite former adversaries in peace. The Hupe Comanche faction, undermined by enemy tribes and food scarcity, sought Anza's help for stability and sustenance. Despite significant Spanish investment and labor, the town was also supported by Hupes, Apaches, Puebloans, and Utes. However, its existence was short-lived. After the death of a significant Comanche figure's wife in 1788, perceived as an ominous sign, the town was abandoned. Within decades, regional native dynamics shifted, replacing Comanche and Apache dominance with tribes like the Cheyennes and Arapahoes. Before we continue, another quick message. Omwako Bafu, Soul of Black Folks, is now on view at the Denver Art Museum. It features more than 30 paintings that tell stories about the beauty and complexity of black life. Bafu's bold, vibrant, and textured works have taken the contemporary art world by storm. Mwako Bwafu, Soul of Black Folks, is only in Denver for a limited time. Don't miss it. Tickets are available now at denverartmuseum.org. Next, our feature story. Happy Friday, Colorado, and welcome once again to our good friend G. Brown, who's been keeping busy managing the Colorado Music Experience website at colomusic.org, and you owe it to yourself to check it out, folks. Uh, In his spare time, he continues to add to his On Record series that looks at the evolution of pop music from 1978 to 1998, and it's not too soon to be thinking about holiday gift-giving, so if you've got a music lover in your life, check out the link to these books on the website. How's it going, G? Uh, well, all that spare time you allude to, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I was being ironic. <laughs> I was writing that trade. Uh, but yeah, thank you for mentioning the books. Uh, I don't know a lot, but I do know that uh, they are wonderful gifts for people based on experience. So um, I can attest to that. I've, I've got some uh, shipped out to my brother as well. So you've still got a ways to go, though, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the train is on the tracks today though. You know, we want to cover all the years you mentioned, 78 to 98. So that would be 21 volumes. First five are out, number six coming in February and I'm writing number 18. So today's a good day. Well, I wanted to start off today talking about the value of live recordings in chronicling the history of Colorado music. And You and your friends at the Colorado Music Experience have been compiling an extensive archive 
of live performances uh, at venues like Evitz Field, the Rainbow Music Hall, uh, and at the, the studio at KCUV and the Peak Lounge. Uh, but there was always something missing as you worked to preserve the legacy of one of Denver's very accomplished collections of musicians. And I'm talking about the 1970s group, maybe we could even call them a supergroup, uh, Sugarloaf, famous, of course, for the mega hit Green Eyed Lady. Uh, very little in the way of live material to work with. And then a couple of years ago, all that changed. Yeah, it's been an interesting path for those guys. Uh, uh, again, as you allude to, a super group. 1970, that was the era for it, right? Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Blind Faith, all the bands that came together, the best players uh, collaborating. And in Denver, that was Sugarloaf. Jerry Corbetta, a uh, fantastic keyboardist who had played with uh, the Half Dozen. A few people might remember his band. Uh, Bob Weber with the Moonrakers, who were uh, one of the biggest bands in Colorado history. Never really had a national impact. Uh, but both those guys, incredible players. And they got together, Bob Raymond and Rob McVitie and Myron Pollock, the other members. But Green Eyed Lady hit number three in 1970. That was a giant hit. Uh, and then they had the usual, you know, there's a million stories out there. If talent was the only barometer, the charts would look a lot different. That's what I'm more fond of saying. So uh, uh, managerial things, label things. Um, they had a wonderful career touring the country, playing big shows, but they never captured it. Uh, you know, there is not a live album from Sugarloaf. There is not video of Sugarloaf. Uh, save for a American bandstand appearance that the Dick Clark archive seems to have erased. And believe me, I looked for it. Uh, they were lip syncing anyway, right? So uh, anyway, they uh, had their day in the 70s and then went on to various pursuits. Bob Weber, the guitarist, found a tape a couple of years ago in a old Anvil case, I guess. And uh, it was a live recording from a 1975 concert when those guys were on fire. And Bob, these days, is an audio engineer. He started Sugarloaf Canyon Productions uh, up in the mountains in his home and has all the state-of-the-art digital equipment to remix, remaster things. So he's taken this tape and made it into an amazing archive of their part of Colorado history Uh live versions of Green Eyed Lady, Don't Call Us, We'll Call You, their other hit. And it was originally remixed for vinyl. They put that out last year. Uh, but now the digital components are available on all the streaming platforms. Just this week, uh, they uh, came out. And as part of that, he's also let us have uh, the complete version of a medley because on the streaming services, they have to parse out the individual tracks but we've got the whole thing stitched together the way it was performed. So that's a, a real honor. Wow. So you, you called this tape one of the most important artifacts in Colorado music history. What makes it that special? Just that those guys could play. I mean, they were as good as anybody out there. Uh, Meta just hasn't been chronicled. Uh, it's pretty much that simple. I'm telling you, Corbetta, he wasn't anyone's idea of a front man in terms of 
you know, maybe the the rock star appearance. He was just a fiery little Italian guy who could just play the heck out of the keyboards. And Weber, I've talked to guitarists over the course of my career who are still trying to figure out what he was doing in Green Eyed Lady. Just that, uh, those jazz courtings and stuff that he did. I mean, just phenomenally talented. Could have been contenders, were for a spell, but it's really great to have it documented. So all this amazing stuff from Sugarloaf and also in, from individual band members, I, I understand, that's that's all available on the website, colomusic.org. But I'm wondering if you have a, a favorite that we might play a, a clip of to pique listeners' interests. Well, let's play I've Got a Song uh, by Jerry Corbetta. This is a live recording. I've Got a Song was the title track of Sugarloaf's third album. Uh, wasn't a hit, but Jerry was uh, fishing around for a solo deal and did a showcase gig in front of record company execs and just crushed the song way better than the studio version. Uh, he had been doing a lot of live performance around this and uh, his vocals were were spot on at that point, you know, road, road hardened. And so uh, <laughs> I think this is just one of his best performances. All right, here's a little Jerry Corbetta from Sugarloaf. Got a song to take it down, a song to ride the country. I've got a song when I go downtown. I've got a song to paint you happy, a song to lift you high, a song to make you feel good. Well, gee, we've talked about Charlie Burrell on the podcast before. Uh, he's the bassist and really a living legend, literally, uh, who who broke the color barrier in classical music back in 1950 when he played with the Denver Symphony Orchestra. Tell us what's up with Charlie and his latest milestone, which uh, I understand you were lucky enough to witness. Actually. I did not witness this. I was out of town, but I've got all the documentation that my friends provided through Colorado Music. Okay, a lot better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Charlie had a birthday party at Dazzle, the new Dazzle, to celebrate his 103rd. But as part of that, Pernell Steen and Von Regensberger, who perform as the Five Points Ambassadors, more information about them on our site, they're kind of the keepers of the jazz flame here in town. And also performing at Dazzle last month was Ron Carter, the fantastic bassist. Ron is 86 himself. He's been credited as being the most recorded bassist in history, playing on more than 2,200 recordings. Uh, just anyone who knows jazz knows that he is the man. And he was unaware of uh, Charlie's legacy. But Pernell and Vaughn told him about it. He wanted to meet Charlie, so they took him over to Charlie's residence, and they had a meeting of the minds. And I hope you'll investigate our newsletter where we've got photos. That's why you think I was there, Kevin, because we've got <laughs> photos of them, uh, you know, just clasping each other's hands. And when you think of all the music that came out of those four, four talented hands, it's uh, kind of kind of daunting. All right, well, let's hear a, a little bit of Ron Carter. Mm -hmm. 
Well, gee, we were just talking about your quest to preserve the legacy of Sugarloaf, which obviously has historical significance in the annals of Colorado music. Sometimes there's an obscure loose end that just sort of grabs hold of you and won't let go. Now, I've, I've seen your archives at your house, and, and it's hard to imagine any shred of music escaping you over the years. But I just love this story of the one song that nearly got away. Uh, give us the backstory of your obsessive search for a song that uh, it sounds like you might have cared about more than any other human. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of my lot in life to have this particular earworm. Uh, going back to 1971, that summer, I had just turned 17, just graduated from Arvada High School in the Arvada Square uh, shopping center, little strip mall, radio station popped up. I don't know what the call letters were there that's lost to time, uh, but they were kind of progressive and they played this song that I only heard once. It was never back announced. I don't know who it was, what the song title was, but the coda, the, the refrain was this vocal arrangement around the phrase, you were on my mind, guys singing around it. it sounded in retrospect, like it could have been an outtake from the Eagles or uh, one of the other early country rock uh, acts. And I spent decades just wondering who it was and had no idea, did many sites once the, the internet came along on uh, song lyric sites and finally stumbled on the fact that it was a song called It's About Time by the Dillards. The Dillards one of the great Americana bands before we had the term Americana, right? Part of the Laurel Canyon scene that uh, they never really got credit for. I think you're old enough to remember them on the Andy Griffiths show, Kevin. Oh, yeah. You remember them, the Darlings, the, the Hillbilly family? They, it wasn't a speaking yep. role. I think they snored in five-part harmony on one <laughs> in some sitcom uh, scenario. But anyway fantastic band but you know try to track down the song now that i know what it is and it was only released on a 45 and it charted for two weeks back in that summer of 71 on the hot 100 it was 92 i think <laughs> wow <laughs> then dropped off never released on a box set never never even issued on one of their albums it was just this standalone 45 uh, dear friend George Krieger, a rock historian who helps Colorado Music Experience, founded a copy in a thrift store, and I was thrilled to finally hear the song and know know its identity. But having a beat up old vinyl forty five just didn't satisfy me, so I sent about trying to see if there was any way to get a digitally remastered copy. Uh, talked to every fan I knew. Talked to. Rodney Dillard of the band. He couldn't remember even recording it. Um, talked to the record label. It was issued on a small subsidiary of United Artists. When I asked if the master tapes could be tracked down, they stifled their laughter uh, out of politeness. Um, it just seemed like a dead end. But the, the happy ending these days, uh, technology exists that uh, we never dreamed of in an affordable way. Uh, to go back and scrub old vinyl, the program software, plugins they call them, that will eliminate the pops and hisses and also just extract all the audio information. Bob Weber, the aforementioned genius from Sugarloaf, 
uh, took the track and brought out all the sonic detail that I never knew existed on the track. And I've got an MP3 and WAV file of It's About Time by the Dillards, my little white whale. <laughs> it has come ashore. So that's my story, and I'm stuck with it, Kevin. Well, so what, what kind of reaction did you get from folks? It sounds like you know, even the artist might have been kind of uh, unsure of what, why it was that you were uh, you know, so obsessed with this song. Yeah, well, a guy like Jerry Mills is... Uh, very accomplished mandolinist, plays with Runaway Express, everybody uh, into acoustic music uh, over the decades. He's played with the Dillards, and his response was, well, why do you even care? There's so much better stuff out there. But he, <laughs> but he didn't know the song, so <laughs> he couldn't make that judgment. Scott O'Malley, fantastic gentleman who's uh, run Western Jubilee down in Colorado Springs, an agent, manager, label head. Biggest Dillard's fan I know, never heard of it. So, so what are you going to do, G? I don't, I don't know. I'll just keep keep plugging, and uh, it's yeah, it's been kind of a, a lonely existence, Kevin. <laughs> so, what, once you got the the complete recording and, and you listened to it, uh, was it everything you remembered? I mean, did it still capture you that same way when you heard the entire? Yeah. Oh no, it's it's a it's a should have been a hit. And it wasn't, but, uh, boy, it's a hit to me. Those guys were really a, a tremendous band. This was their attempt at a hit, if you will. It was produced by Richard Podolor, who, uh, did all of Three Dog Nights records. And so he knew how to make a, a single, right? Fred, this was the Dillard's attempt being a bunch of, you know, kind of bluegrassers, but, uh, just a detailed vocal arrangement and, Oh, I, yeah, I love it more than ever. <laughs> All right, well, here we go with uh, that earworm, uh, a clip from the Dillards, It's About Time. So, gee, I know from my latest trip to Costco that uh, Christmas is in full re retail swing, but we still got Halloween on the calendar, and that always gets me thinking about music that embraces the the ghostly or at least the spooky motif. And of course, there are legit songs that pretty directly address that, like this from the classic Four. Say, all right, love is kind of crazy with a spooky little girl like you. And there's this old standard. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did but sometimes I think back to some of the campy horror TV shows of the 60s and 70s and really just marvel at the staying power of their theme songs. And I'm talking 
the monsters, dark shadows, and maybe the most enduring. And this is another earworm alert here, the theme from the Adams Family. Were those or others part of your soundtrack growing up, G? All of it. We're we're peers age-wise, so uh, TV theme songs in general are uh, are earworms, right? And I don't want to get tangential here, Kevin, but has there ever been a better song written than the Green Acres theme? Oh, it's, and I, I've heard that done in uh, punk rock format. Well, right. Encapsulating, you know, the entire show in 60 clever seconds, you know. I mean, just just brilliant stuff. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with the Munsters as far as the, the spooky stuff. Um, who, did, who didn't love the Munsters? Fred Gwynn and the crew. But as far as Halloween music in general, it's kind of funny parsing the difference between you know, horror and, and scary music. I mean, if we're talking about scary music, I would go with Paris Hilton's album from a few years back. That's the scariest thing I've ever heard. But as far as uh, horror, you know, I always kind of go to the Ramones, right? I don't want to go down to the basement. Hey, Daddy, yo, there's something down there. You know, that's, it's a pretty horrific as far as lyrics go. But, uh, Let's, uh, I'll stop being tangential now with Kevin and let you play a clip from the monsters. All right. And as, as long as we're at it, uh, we referenced dark shadows earlier. Here's a little bit of that one. So finally, G, to play us off into the weekend, uh, let's enjoy a little of this heavy metal version of The Adams Family by a Norwegian metal musician and producer named Leo Maracchioli, uh, who's known particularly for his metal covers of pop songs. It's, it's great stuff. So we'll see you next time, G, and have a great weekend, Colorado. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Three men charged in a deadly rock-throwing spree that killed a 20-year-old Arvada woman in her car were linked to similar attacks in which rocks sailed past the head of another driver and flung shattered glass into the eyes of other victims. The attacks were detailed in a Jefferson County courtroom before a judge ruled Wednesday that all three men will stand trial for murder and other charges. A DNA test on the rock that killed Alexa Bartel did not reveal which of the men threw it. A Colorado Sun fact check found that Proposition HH, the 10-year property tax relief plan on the November ballot, would cut property taxes, not raise them as critics have claimed. But the Sun Review also found that voters are unlikely to feel as much relief from the state's rising cost of living as supporters of the measure say. The Sun previously debunked the claim that Proposition HH would end refunds owed to Coloradans under the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. See coloradosun.com for more on how the law will affect you. 
people passing through Commerce City in the near future might see bison on the range. The Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge will expand its bison area to 10,300 acres from 6,500 in the next year, with refuge personnel telling residents who live near the park's northeastern edge that bison will, quote, basically be in your backyard. The expansion is part of a $2.6 million project by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to manage bison and grasslands resiliency in the refuge. The funding was provided by the Inflation Reduction Act and Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Before we go, we encourage you to check out a new podcast from our friends at KUNC called The Colorado Dream. Here's a sneak peek. The new season of The Colorado Dream explores the Black immigrant experience in Aurora. It's told through the eyes of one African woman. I would sit on the beach and just daydream about coming to America. And the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. In the last 20 years, uh, we have a new face of the city. I'm Stephanie Daniel. Join me for the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome. You can find the series at KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now a quick message from our editor. I'm Larry Rickman, editor and co-founder of The Colorado Sun. The Sun is a public benefit corporation, and we rely on the support of listeners and readers like you to produce the nonpartisan, in-depth news that Colorado needs and deserves. Please consider becoming a Sun member for just $5 a month. Learn more at coloradosun.com. Thanks.